Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. To an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and then together they could light up the entire world. Friends, Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. It's always good to have you with us and uh, joining patriots, Christians all across the country uh, to pray for the country of which we are so proud and happy to be part of. You know, I want to um, continue our teaching tonight about the pillars of the America First policies that we believe in. Putting America first just makes a lot of sense, and that is rooted in Scripture, the principles behind the policies that we embrace that end up creating a blessed and strong nation. So we started talking about this uh, earlier in the week, and we're going to continue exploring it in a lot of detail tonight, taking the first of 10 policy principles and biblical pillars, if you will, dealing with the economy. I also want to share with you in this program uh, one of the nicest letters I've received in a long time, and uh, we'll uh, read that to you. I think it'll be encouragement to all of us because what it talks about is something that so many of you have been involved in as well. Let me know where you're from. Let me know, especially if you're new to the program. Uh, We uh, look at all the comments that come in on all the different platforms where you may be watching. And we invite you to uh, leave us your comments, questions, and also prayer requests because our entire team is committed to praying for you. And we want to know how we can pray for you. What are your needs? And of course, our other viewers who see these comments are, we are all united in prayer for one another because that's part of what it means to pray for America, is to pray for each other and our families. Let me go to Luke 17 for our reading tonight, starting in verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation." Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Let us pray. Father, you promised the coming of your Son, and your Son Jesus Christ promised his return in a way that would be sudden, like lightning, in a way that would be visible to all, also like lightning. Make us ready for His coming. 
by virtuous lives, by deep and committed service to one another, by righteous deeds, by a life immersed in prayer, and by defending the values, the truths, the virtues that we learn in your kingdom. By defending them, Lord, from destructive policies in our nation, and by defending them from destructive individual actions that we or people around us might engage in. Protect us from deceptive philosophies, false doctrines, assertions that are contrary to your holy word. Deepen our faith, deepen our virtue, deepen our hope, and increase our love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we we are in the season of Advent. These are the weeks before Christmas and Christians focus on the coming of Christ. Not only his coming at the time of the first Christmas, when he is born for us, when he takes on our human nature, when the word becomes flesh, but also focusing on, as this reading we just had does, uh, his coming at the end of time. We have to be ready. We have to be vigilant. His coming, doesn't it provide a great deal of hope, brothers and sisters, because we know we're not left alone, ever. We're not left alone as a community. We're not left alone as individuals. We're not left alone as a nation to deal with the destructive forces that threaten us. And there are many destructive forces that threaten us, Uh, us individually, our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, our world. He's coming back. By proclaiming that coming, we urge people to prepare for it. By hoping in that coming, we strengthen our own confidence and our own peace of mind and our own ability to do the work that God calls us to do in this world. So happy Advent. May we be preparing for a wonderful celebration of Christmas where the coming of Jesus as he comes each and every day has even more of an impact in our life than ever before. I've been telling you about the America First Policy Institute, AFPI. Many of the people that worked in President Trump's administration are part of this now, and I'm very involved in it as well. And it is a, um, you can find out more at uh, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And you'll see the America First agenda, and we're going through it. And we're seeing how it is biblically rooted. We're going to explore one of 10 different pillars for restoring a nation under God. That sounds like a pretty good agenda, doesn't it? Pillars for restoring a nation under God. It's rooted in Scripture. And let me just um, read for you what these 10 are. And in different programs, we're going to delve into each one individually. Uh, The first one, which we'll talk a little bit more about tonight, make the greatest economy in the world work for all Americans. Make it work. Let me just read quickly the other other, uh, nine. Second is put patients and doctors back in charge of health care, as opposed, of course, to Democrat bureaucrats. Third, restore America's historic commitment to freedom, equality, and self-governance. And under that pillar comes the fundamental 
right to life that we all have and that government must protect. Fourth, give parents more control over their children's education. Many of you are parents. That certainly resonates with you, I'm sure. Number five, finish the wall. End human trafficking and defeat the drug cartels. You know, you read policies like this, you got to scratch your head as to how anyone in their right mind can oppose uh, something like this. Deliver number six, peace through strength and American leadership. Deliver peace through strength and American leadership. Number seven, make America energy independent. Again, we're going to look at the different biblical principles behind each one of these. But, you know, you can think of energy independence in, 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 the, in the paradigm of, you know, God himself has given us the goods of the earth where we're standing on top of oil and gas, natural resources that are just beyond our imagination. And if we're just sitting on top of them and not using them, what kind of... What kind of responsible stewardship or gratitude to God, for that matter, for those gifts does that reflect? Number eight, make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. Someone told me one time that there was something in the Bible about, you know, not lying, um, not cheating, not stealing. Uh, something to do with elections also. Number nine, provide safe and secure communities so that all Americans can live their lives in peace. Again, show me the person who, with any degree of sanity, can, can object to that. And then finally, number 10, fight government corruption by draining the swamp. A much bigger task, a much harder hill to climb than anybody realizes. Fight government corruption by draining the swamp. Okay. You go back to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at number one. Make the greatest economy in the world work for all Americans. Every word of that counts, especially the word all. This is not a great, an economy isn't great if it's not working for all the people. If it's only working for some, then this is not what we're aiming for. And the greatest in the world. And this is not a pipe dream. This is exactly where we have already been under the presidency of the man whose picture we always have here on the set. Greatest economy in the world. Make it work. Because, you know, we can have it and then we can lose it. We can have it and, and, and let it fall into dysfunction. We can have it, but we can never think that it's just we can never put it on automatic pilot let's 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 put it that way we constantly have to be nurturing we constantly have to be doing the right things that got us there in the first place of course under the current administration it's exactly what we're not doing and we've fallen into disrepair and utter chaos we go back to the beginning of the bible you say well where is this what does this have to do with the word of god God created everything, right? We read in the first verses of the Bible, he speaks a word, everything comes into being. But then we see him entrusting creation to us, entrusting. So uh, you, um, let's go, starting in chapter one, God creates all the living creatures God creates human beings. So Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. Now, he doesn't say that about the other creatures. Human beings 
have an image and likeness of God above and beyond anything else. And then in that same sentence, he says, and let them rule. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And later on, of course, we see God bringing the animals in front of, um, of um, Adam and seeing what he would name them. So the ability to name the creatures shows, again, a share in what? A share in God's dominion. And that's part of being in the image and likeness of God, is that you actually have a share in his authority. So God gives us a share of authority over the earth that he creates. Scripture is telling us this explicitly. This is that the basis of economy, dealing with the goods of the earth. So he gives us those. The first acknowledgement is they come from him. Secondly, he's given us a certain authority over these things. Now, it's not an absolute dominion because we're not God. It's a stewardship which means we have real responsibility for it. We have real authority over it. And yet, at the same time, what we do with it, we have to give an accounting back to him. And of course, if you know the scriptures, that right away is going to raise in your mind the parables of Jesus about stewardship, one of which I want to read here to set the context for this. But staying in Genesis for a moment, we also have in chapter 2, verse 15, which says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. So the first community, the first place, the first home on earth for human beings, Garden of Eden. But he doesn't just put him there. And he doesn't make him just sit there passively. God takes our first father, puts him there, and it says, why? To work it. Took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The verb to create is only used of God in the Scriptures. It's not used of anybody else. Nobody can create things out of nothing. If I'm going to, in any sense, create something, I have to have some pre-existing stuff to do it, right? If I, if I say, oh, I created a painting, well, I need the paint. I need some kind of canvas that I'm going to put the paint on. I need some kind of brush, unless it's the kind of painting I just do with my hands. But I need something to do it. We don't create things out of nothing. We create a lot of things out of other things. But only God can create out of nothing. Once he creates and he entrusts to us the things he creates, he tells us to work them. In other words, go ahead and begin. Because you're made in the image and likeness of God, you share not only in some of his dominion, you share in some of his creativity. God is eternal creativity. God is infinite creativity. He gives some of that creativity to us. So, working the Garden of Eden refers to all human work till the end of time. There's a dignity in work. Work is not it's slave labor. Work is not 
simply monotony. Work can be monotonous, certainly. But brothers and sisters, when we're able to work and use our talents to create things in the sense in which I just explained, we are expressing by that our human dignity. We are manifesting by doing that work the image of God within us. And we are fulfilling our calling, not only by deepening those talents that we already have, because when we put them into practice, we're perfecting them, we're developing them, making our skills even more impressive and effective. But then what we're also doing is we're obeying this original command of God to work the garden, and then it says to take care of it. Make sure it doesn't slip through your hands. Make sure it doesn't get destroyed. Make sure it doesn't get wasted. You know, everything seems to have a lifespan, doesn't it? You take some good fruit, you know, you take the bananas and you put them on your shelf. If you don't eat them within a certain period of time, they become inedible. So with any kind of food, there's a certain period of time in which we have to take advantage of the harvest. Don't let it slip by. All of this, these are deep biblical fundamental cornerstones of any kind of consideration about the economy. So too are the stewardship parables of Jesus, as we just said. And uh, let me go to uh, Matthew's gospel here. And we've got in Matthew 25, which talks a lot about the judgment and the accounting we give to God at the end of time the parable of the talents. Starting in verse 14, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful for, with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. 
so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go over to the board and just pull out a few of these lessons, brothers and sisters, because this translates into American policy. Once again, let me just put that website, AmericaFirstPolicy.com, learn more about all this and also how you can join up and be associated with this uh, institute. And the principle number one, we're exploring, make the greatest economy in the world work for all Americans. And we've looked already at a couple of key biblical principles underlying this. And I'll put a couple of references here on the board. All right, work for all. All, we'll put all in caps, Americans. All right, so we looked at Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Matthew 25, and there are other scriptures as well. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.18, for example. And you can jot these down and use them in your own further reflections on this with the, with the scriptures. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The ability. Now that goes to something we were saying the other night. What do we read in our Declaration of Independence or our Unalienable Rights? Life, liberty, and is it life, liberty, and happiness? No, not exactly. It's life, liberty, and the right to pursue happiness, which, taking into account the, the themes and the readings we're looking at today, leads you to think of the word work, to work it, we read in Genesis 2. To pursue happiness you got to do some pursuing. you got to do some work. It's not the right to receive happiness as if the government is going to give it to you or somebody else. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not that simple. We pursue it. Deuteronomy 8.18. Psalm 128. Let's just put a couple of other scriptures here. We're going to continue looking at this in the next program. When you eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, you will be happy, and it will go well for you. When you eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. It doesn't just say when you eat the fruit that God gives you, or when you eat the fruit that grows all by itself out of the earth. No, he worked the garden. Well, how does it grow all by itself out of the earth? That's part of the reality of what happens, because you know we plant, as Paul says elsewhere, and, and we water, but God gives the growth. Of course he does. But he gives the growth along with the work of our hands. You see, the work of our hands, again, that word, our work and God's work, work 
hand in hand. You could make a, an interesting saying out of that. The work of our hands and the work of God's hand work hand in hand. They do. You can't really, I mean, conceptually, of course, you can separate them. But, but in reality, it's not a question of separating them. It's not a question of saying, oh, is it our work or is it God's work? It's neither one alone that brings about the kind of world or the kind of nation that we need to bring about. It's together. Not on an equal, we're not on equal par with God by any means. We're sinful, worthless servants, useless creatures, except that God raises us up to be far more than worthless. Scripture, Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. When Jesus gives those talents, as we read in Matthew 25, to those servants, he gives them to them. In other words, when they went out and by the work of their hands, by their pursuit of happiness, when they went out and they gained five more or two more, when the master came back, the master didn't say, redistribute the wealth. The master didn't say, okay, well, you have five and you have two, but we want everyone to have exactly the equal amount, so I'm going to take from the one who has five and give to the one who has two. He didn't do that. The purpose of government is not to impose equality. It's to help people pursue happiness with an equal opportunity. That's a different thing. Let's go back to the chair. All right, we're going to continue this next time, brothers and sisters. But before we conclude here tonight, I got this letter today along with this. You can see what it says, Life Wins. And it has a whole bunch of um, newspaper headlines from back in June. Roe overturned. Roe v. Wade falls. Uh, and this, of course, is a goal I've been working for for... Uh, well, actually, for almost as long as Roe has been around, uh, since 1976, 47 years, and um, full-time for the last 30 years, the court said we can protect our babies. I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of crazy that we even have to say something like that. But the Supreme Court stopped blocking the protection of babies. So I, I got this. I, this was from the Florida Family Policy Council. Great. You know, there are many family policy councils across the country in different states. This is part of what, what, what is making America great uh, again and saving our nation. But let me just read a little bit of this. We are so, dear, dear Frank, we are so grateful to God for the remarkable victory we experienced this past year with the Dobbs case and the reversal of Roe v. Wade. You have worked most of your life to make this moment possible. This is such an amazing milestone in the history of America. We wanted to thank God and honor those like you who have worked to make this victory possible. Well, I wanted to share this with you because, friends, headlines like this, when we talk about saving our nation and making it great again, and when we talk about the bedrock principles of America, among them are this. The, the, the respect and the protection of life 
and you have helped to make it possible because you who are joining me for these programs, you too pray, sacrifice, speak, vote, march, rally, and do so many things to advocate for the helpless and to make sure that our public policies protect the public rather than kill the public. So I just want to say thanks to you as well. And in that spirit, and with that gratitude for everything that you do to make and keep America great, let's pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, friends. Have a wonderful weekend. And remember, this country doesn't belong to those who want to destroy it. As President Trump reminds us, it belongs to you and me. And the greatest days of America are yet to come. Thanks for joining me tonight. Join me again on Monday. And meanwhile, be assured of our prayers. God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.